Well, good morning, Anthem. Uh, we are continuing our series in Acts, so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts 11, and my name is Matt. I'm the pastor for teaching and equipping here at Anthem, and uh, as we get going, I just want to repeat again, happy Mother's Day uh, to you. Uh, it's an honor that you've chosen to join us uh, on a day like today, and so thank you for joining us. I hope that you've had a great breakfast. You've been showered with love and too much uh, sugar and, uh, and lots of cards, and so uh, thank you for gathering with us. Happy Mother's Day to all the, the, the women out there. And, uh, and so here's this morning's big idea. The assumptions we have about God shape our ability to see the bigger picture of what he is doing. Again, the assumptions we have about God shape our ability to see the bigger picture of what he is doing. So on one hand, if we have right assumptions about God and what he's doing, then we will be able to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives and all around us and the world around us uh, with more clarity. But on the other hand, if we have wrong assumptions about what God is doing, then we'll see things incorrectly around us. They'll color what we see. We'll be unable to see the bigger picture. You know, there have been several times in my life when wrong assumptions led to an inability to see the bigger picture. And actually, this week, because Mother's Day was coming up, I was thinking about my mom, and I was thinking about the mother of my children, and who is my wife, just to clarify that, I guess I should say, uh, but uh, just thinking about the mother of my children, and, and I was remembering uh, early in our marriage our very first uh, vacation that we did together, which uh, was almost, I would say, probably almost our last vacation that we ever did together. And, uh, and so I remember uh, in this first vacation, we went to uh, Washington, D.C. And so we're going to spend time with Juan Lauren's aunt, and we were very excited about this trip. And, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm a, kind of an American history fanatic. I, I love reading about American history, and then so there's nothing better than reading it than going and actually touching the spots where things happened. And so I have planned an action-packed itinerary for like four or five days, I think the trip was. And, uh, and I should have known when we first got in the car, because Lauren spent a lot of her time packing uh, like clothing for some nice times together and whatnot, and I pretty much had packed nothing but uh, pamphlets and maps and, and a way to essentially be able to, uh, see, I don't binge watch TV, I binge watch historical sites or binge uh, visit places, and so I was ready to see the entire city, and so we got there our first day, we're on the train into the city by 5 a.m., we did our White House tour at 7 a.m., and then after that we're on the National Mall, and we're just zooming through, checking things off, and we were actually ahead of schedule, and that's why I was surprised when about mid-morning I turn around and I see my bride sitting on a bench in tears. She's crying, and I, and I went over to her, and I said, oh, well, honey, what's, what's, what's wrong? Uh, don't, uh, this is awesome, isn't it? We're, we're way past our itinerary, and she's crying, and she said, oh, my, it's just my feet hurt. And, and, I, and I looked down at her feet, and I saw that she was wearing these cute flats. And in my mind, I thought, well, you shouldn't wear flats when we're essentially hiking around a city. So I said to her, uh, well, you shouldn't have worn those shoes. You knew we'd be walking a lot. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever said something to someone, and when the words came out of your mouth, as soon as they exit your mouth, they kind of like 
you have this moment where they kind of like turn back at you and they wave and are like, see you later, we're going to go destroy your life now, right? Uh, and that's what my words felt like they were doing to me. They kind of winked at me or like, bye-bye. Uh, and so my wife, when they hit her, I realized that was not the right response. And, and, she, and she said through her tears again, she said, no, it's, it's not so much about my feet. It's not about the shoes. She said, I'm wearing cute flats because I, I just wanted to spend time with you. And, and I said, well, honey, we're getting to spend time together. Look at all the amazing things that we're doing. And, and, and then slowly it hit me what she was saying. And then I stopped talking, which was the first wise thing that I'd done all day. And I realized that we had different assumptions behind this trip. And so I, I apologized, and that trip went much better, and we've had many more great trips since then, and surprisingly, in spite of me, our marriage is thriving today. Uh, but we, I realized on that day that we had different assumptions, different assumptions about why we were on that trip, and because of it, not only because those assumptions were in conflict, were we in conflict, but also because of those misplaced assumptions, those wrong assumptions that I had, I, I actually couldn't see the bigger picture here I was with all this time to spend with my wife to connect with her and I was missing it see that's the time when wrong assumptions led me to not seeing the bigger picture but how about you have you had times in your life when wrong assumptions uh, kept you from being able to see the bigger picture Perhaps wrong assumptions in a relationship cause you not to see the bigger picture in a relationship. Perhaps even things like wrong assumptions of a season of life that you're in. You're in uh, college and you're, you're working hard or you're, you're a young parent and so you're in this difficult season with young children. It's trying. And, uh, but because we, we have wrong assumptions going into it about what it's going to be about and what it's going to look like, we actually miss the bigger picture and we're robbed of the joy of the moment. You see, wrong assumptions will lead us to not seeing the bigger picture. And they rob us of joy. And that's what this morning's passage is going to address in our walk with the Lord. Because we often live with wrong assumptions about God and what he's doing. And the result is that we fail to see the bigger picture of what he's doing. And that not only keeps us blind to truth, but it robs us of joy. So if we want to experience God, to truly know him, to join in what he's doing and what he's inviting us into, we have to challenge our assumptions that we bring into our relationship with him. Because when we do, what we'll see today is first, we get a bigger picture of God's grace. And then second, we get a bigger picture of God's power. And third, a bigger picture of our call. Let's pray as we dive in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. And Lord, the ways that it exposes our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would be uh, both uh, convicted uh, through this passage, but we would also be uh, comforted through this passage. Um, and Lord, that we would be reminded of your grace, we'd be reminded of your mercy, and also, uh, Lord, we'd be reminded of your power. That we are saved by Christ alone, that we are saved and we live in the power of your spirit alone. And Lord, also, that we are called to something great. And so, Lord, would you encourage us, would you convict us, and then encourage us, build us up, so, Lord, we would be able to go out today and glorify you and walk in joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a bigger picture of God's grace. Look at verses 1 through 3. Again, this is Acts 11. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea 
heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So what's happening right now, as we saw last week, the gospel's continuing to spread. And there's this joy that's happening. And so everyone's excited out kind of in like the, uh, in the, in the pioneer fronts of where the gospel is going. And, and then this, the news of this goes back to kind of the headquarters, to Jerusalem. And so Peter goes back. And Peter is expecting that when he gets back, you know, he's going to come back and everyone's joyous. And they're going, can you believe these reports, Peter? Are these really true? Is this really happening? This is crazy. This is what Jesus said would happen. It is actually happening. And he walks in and instead of celebrating him, they, with him, they start berating him. And they kind of have this response, like it, it reminds, they're, they're kind of like, uh, and Peter's expecting joy and he walks in, they're just kind of looking at him with their arms folded, just like, boo, right? Peter's like, what? It, it reminds me of, I remember in grade school, my first friend who actually a girl kissed him. Okay? And, and he comes running across the playground, and he was like, guys, guys. And he tells us, like, this girl suddenly came over and kissed him. And we look at him, and we're like, dude, that's disgusting. Like, on your, like, mouth, cheek, that she touched your face with her lips. That's nasty, right? And we're like, this is because we believe that girls had cooties, right? And so we have these assumptions about girls that uh, were ruining this relationship. And in the same way, these guys have assumptions about the Gentiles. And as Stan laid out really well last week, they have essentially the, the spiritual equivalent of, cu- of cooties, right? They have this spiritual equivalent of this uncleanliness, of this something that's wrong with them. They have an assumption about what really makes someone clean before God. And these people are not clean. They assumed that what they put into their bodies versus what flowed out of their soul was what made them clean. And because of that, they failed to see the bigger picture of what God was doing through Jesus. So when Peter shows up and says celebrating, they start berating him. How could you approve of these guys? You mean that those people? Those people, you think that those people could actually be called Christians? You think God would accept them? And I think in many ways, as I was reading this, I thought, you know, we know better than this today. At least that's what we tell ourselves. It's easy to scoff at them. But I think if we're honest, we also have knee-jerk responses about certain groups of people, certain kinds of people, assumptions that are wrong about who God really works in and who he won't. Certain kinds of people we deem beyond God's redemption. See, often we assume God looks at people like we do. And that's a false assumption. And because of those false assumptions, like them, we fail to see the bigger picture. And this is why Peter spends essentially the next 11 verses unpacking what actually happened. And most of these 11 verses are a repeat of what happened in the last chapter, what we went over last week. He's just repeating his dream and then how the Holy Spirit fell on them. And he's doing this probably because it says in verse 3, he does it in an order, or verse 4, explained it to them in order. Probably because what happened was when this, this story came back, it was uh, something that they, they kind of steered it toward. They lied about it and they embellished on it. And they, said, can, they just came back and saying, look at what God is doing. And Peter had this vision and God said, go to the Gentiles. And then God's spirit fell when they preached the Bible and, and the gospel and Jesus. And look at what's happening because of that. In fact, or instead, probably what happened was they came back and they said, can you believe 
who they're eating with now. Can you believe who they're accepting into the church? And what Peter points them to is something that they missed because their assumptions were so wrong. Something that God was doing. See, God's, they were right in some ways. There were cleanliness laws in the Old Testament. There were laws about being circumcised. There were laws that these folks hadn't fulfilled. But what Peter's saying is you, because you're so blinded by your assumptions, you're not seeing the bigger picture, which is that those laws were fulfilled in Jesus. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So because of Jesus, it isn't by avoiding unclean things that makes us clean. It's by being washed in the blood of Christ that makes you clean. It's by being filled with God's Holy Spirit that makes you holy. So Peter says in verse 14 through 17, God clearly is at work in them. There's something clearly beyond these laws that God has brought in Jesus, and they're, you're blind to them. He's clearly at work. Look at how when I proclaim the gospel, look at how they respond. Look at how when the Spirit falls, look at how the Spirit moves. And then he says these words. He says, who is I to stand in God's way? Who is I to stand in God's way? And what he's saying to them is essentially, who are you to stand in God's way of his grace and his gospel? Now, what's interesting in verse 18, they respond. And when they heard these words, these things, they fell silent. They fell silent. The Greek word here for silence is, it gives kind of a sense of calm or rest, kind of like when a, when a, when a storm all of a sudden stops. There's this silence, but there's this calm, this chaos that has ended. There's a rest. Why are they silent? I think it's because they realize their false assumptions about how God saves and who he saves. And that because of those false assumptions, they were standing in the way of the gospel going forward. But I don't just think that it's in the way of the gospel going to the Gentiles. But it's also they were standing in the way of the gospel actually getting through to them. The wrong assumptions about what, it, what makes someone acceptable to God caused them to miss the cross. They didn't know God's grace in Christ. And they assumed it was about being better. About what they could do. About their works. About their circumcision. About their cleanliness. The ways that they could prove themselves to God. And the silence is a realization that their assumptions about God were causing them to miss the bigger picture of God's grace. And they were not only holding the Gentiles to harsh standards, but they lived under them themselves. That's why they were extending those harsh statements or those harsh standards to others. Because they had never experienced the grace of God fully in Christ. See, I could ask you an application to this text. Where are you being exclusive? Where are you being cliquish? But I think there's another way that you can see how truly 
if you have wrong assumptions about God that keep you from seeing his grace. And those are examining the ways that you're unable to show compassion to others. Show compassion and grace. The ways in which you use harsh language. The inability to stop working. To run yourself into the ground. Debilitating expectations of others. These actually reveal that we have false assumptions about what God, how God saves. And it leads to an inability to see a bigger picture of his grace. Because we are not receiving compassion and grace from God. And we assume it's all on us. What I would say is don't stand in the way of God's grace. Don't stand in the way of receiving God's grace. And if you don't stand in the way of receiving God's grace, you won't stand in the way of it going out from you because it will overflow from you. So drop the assumption that you must save yourself and see the bigger picture of God's grace. The second bigger picture that we'll get when we address our false assumptions is a bigger picture of God's power. Look at verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So while this scene is, is going on back in Jerusalem with Peter, uh, there's kind of this, the gospel continues to spread. And there's kind of this tale of two kinds of gospels that's going on here. If you notice in the first part in verse 19, there's a gospel of the circumcision group. The gospel of those who were back in Jerusalem, that had gone out and it was spreading. And it says it went to the Jews. But then what's interesting is it kind of acts like it just stops there. It's just done. It went to the Jews and then it stops. I think this serves as a warning that a gospel about earning grace rather than receiving isn't good news. Right? And, I, and I think we know this intuitively, right? If, if you say, hey, I've got good news for you, and you're like, oh, I'm ready. What's the good news? And you're like, do better, right? That's not good news, right? And so as this is going out, the, this gospel essentially at the end of the day says, just do better. Be more religious. And what happens is it stops and the power of the gospel dries up. But then a second wave goes out in verse 20. So while the first stopped with a select group, the second then goes to the Hellenists and to the Gentiles. And this one, it says, preached the Lord Jesus. In other words, this one was focused on Jesus and what he had done. And verse 21 says, the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. See, what Acts is emphasizing here is the more our gospel captures what Jesus has done, the more it will come with power. And if you think about it, that's important because what we claim we believe happens when we share the gospel is absolutely crazy. Because we believe, we claim that people who are dead, dead, not just sleeping, not just, you know, kind of feverish, not just kind of unaware or ignorant, but people who are dead come to newness of life. You know, this uh, hit me when a few 
years ago, I remember when I was in seminary, I used to walk through this uh, some, uh, a cemetery. And when I would walk through the cemetery, I would uh, look uh, at the gravestones. It's called Cave Hills, this huge, beautiful cemetery. And, and sometimes I would meditate on the fact that when I one day, uh, when I'm a, a pastor and I'm preaching God's word, or even now when I'm just sharing the gospel, every time when I'm sharing the gospel, it's like when I'm walking around in that cemetery and I'm looking at these tombstones and I'm saying, rise, get up out of the grave, right? And so the task that we're called to is we are called to essentially walk into a graveyard and say, get up, rise. Now, that takes power, a power that we don't possess. And see, the thing is, a lot of times we assume that there are things that we can do instead of the gospel that will actually produce life. But the issue is it's just like walking into a graveyard and telling a corpse, hey, if you just do better, if you just try harder, then maybe this will work out for you. Or maybe if the gospel will go forward, if I just put myself together and I'm kind of hipper and I'm, 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 I'm kind of, I, I'm, uh, I have something cool to offer, if I have a good group of friends, and that's like going into a graveyard and saying, hey guys, look at me. I've got my life together. Do you want to be like me? No one's getting out of the grave. Or maybe, uh, let's, hey, let's get a good band together and let's put on a good show. And if we put on a good show in the graveyard, then watch them come out of the graves. But it won't happen. No one's going to rise from the grave. As Ephesians 2 says, we are dead in our sins apart from, the, from Christ. And what we are doing in proclaiming the gospel is calling those who are dead to life. And Paul says in Corinthians, the word of God is the power of God for those who are being saved. We believe the dead are raised. And that doesn't happen through better oration or getting ourselves together. That comes by proclaiming Christ. We aren't called to be morticians dressing up dead bodies. When we assume we can find or give life by anything other than Jesus and his spirit, we miss the bigger picture of God's power to save. So let me ask, do you assume the gospel is about anything other than Jesus' work and the Holy Spirit's power? Is about proving you're right and winning arguments. Is about making people more like you, behavior modification. Is about forming a social club. If you want to see the bigger picture of God's power to save, you have to check your assumptions. Jesus came to raise dead people to life, and he wants to use you. And that's the last point. We get a bigger picture of our call, a bigger picture of our calling. So meanwhile, while this is happening back in Jerusalem, you look at verse 22. When the church hears, they send Barnabas to check it out. Look at verse 22. It says, when the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So they send Barnabas to check it out, and when Barnabas, he, what's interesting here is he responds in the exact opposite way of the circumcision party. Right? So Barnabas sees this and he doesn't just kind of go, boo, why is this happening? And, 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 and berate them for what's happening. But instead he celebrates. It says that he was glad. And I don't, it doesn't seem like it's saying that he was glad just because, you know, well, here's Barnabas. And as we saw earlier in Acts, he's just the son of encouragement. So he's just kind of an emotional guy. He's a feeler. So he gets glad about these things. No, he's glad because it says he saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. 
See, when Barnabas saw the grace of God being poured out as the gospel went forth in power, he saw it and he was encouraged because he says, that's the same grace that saved me. It's refreshing and it reminds him of the salvation that he has. You know, it's like when, if you're married, you know that when you go to a wedding, one of the things that happens when you uh, are sitting there at a wedding, it usually catches you off guard, is that when they exchange the vows, and they look into each other's eyes and they have that moment when they actually say their vows and they enter into to marriage together. You usually like are fighting back like ugly crying uh, because it reminds you of that moment. You see this beauty, you see this wonder, you see this love and what's happening. And it reminds you of the time when that happened in your life. It reminds you of the reality, of that beauty of that love, that awe and that passion. In the same way Barnabas is overcome by the weight and the beauty and the awe, that moment when he first received grace. And just like Barnabas goes to them afterwards and he says, hey, remain faithful, be steadfast in purpose, the same thing afterwards. Like you have that emotional experience during the ceremony and maybe afterwards at the reception, you go up to the couple and you're just kind of blabbering about this stuff like, hey man, stay steadfast and, and push through, this is worth it, Right? That's what Barnabas does. He sees it and he goes to them afterwards and he says, be steadfast in purpose. Keep going. Don't let go of that grace, but cling to it. Fight for it every day. So when we let God work through us, we get a front row seat to seeing his power and his grace. And Anthem, I think God wants you to have that kind of a front row seat, to see his grace and his power on display. See, God doesn't call us to share the gospel just to see if we'll, you know, check off boxes on some kind of a to-do list. It isn't a hoop to jump through. God calls us to share the gospel, to tell of the cross, to tell of his grace, so we'd be filled with joy and we get a fresh picture of his grace and his power. He wants us to join in his work so that he'll work his work deep down into us and fill us with joy. And look at the result, lastly, verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So he says, Barnabas goes and he says, Saul, you've got to see what's going on here. And so he brings Saul in. And, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This was the first time that Christians were called Christians. It's the first time in history. And Christian just means to be a Christ follower. See, up to this point, they were known as just kind of a sect of Judaism. They're known as kind of this tribe over here in this Jewish faith. It was, in other words, you know, those are the guys over there who have the whole, the whole works thing set up and the whole law thing. And then on top of that, they just kind of sprinkle on this Jesus guy-like seasoning. But now they are no longer known as a sect of Judaism, but holy in Christ. It's the first time in history, and it's because of the fact that they no longer look to their works, but they fully just look to what Christ had done. See, the world around us assumes that Jesus is nothing more than an add-on, that he's nothing more than a necklace, an, an accessory, a nice guy we listen to, an inspirational role model, an add-on to our spirituality. But we need to help them see the bigger picture of his cross, his power, his grace, his gospel. 
but we can only help them see that bigger picture by challenging their assumptions about who God is and what he is doing so that we'd see the bigger picture ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the grace that we have in the cross. And Lord, we thank you that also that you come with power, that your power is what saved us from the grave. And Lord, we also ask that you'd help us to see the bigger picture, the bigger picture of our calling, the bigger picture of our place in your plan, of our calling to join in your work of making all things new. Lord, would you challenge our assumptions? Would you open our eyes to them so that we might see the bigger picture and follow you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.